This episode of The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets. Welcome back to The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week, we have a very special guest, Adam Morrison. Let's get it. Yahoo Sports presents The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, JJ Reddick. All right, welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Very excited about this week's guest. It's Adam Morrison. Adam and I have communicated recently through text, haven't spoken in a number of years. We have a long conversation today, and it's really about us catching up. And he's very candid and very insightful about a lot of different topics, including our, I don't know what you would call it, but I guess a rivalry back in 2006. It's crazy, crazy to think. That was 10 years ago that I was a senior at Duke and he was a junior at Gonzaga and we were battling for a national championship, uh, national player of the year awards and the national scoring title. So here we go with Adam. Adam, I got to tell you, when I decided to do this podcast, you were literally the first name that popped into my head for a guest that I wanted to have on this show. So I really appreciate you doing this. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to uh, chatting up about 10 years ago. I know, seriously. Uh, You and I actually have not talked probably in, I don't know, five or six years. We've texted a few times in the last few weeks trying to coordinate this. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, my first question to you is, what the hell have you been up to, man? How have you been? I've been good. Just uh, I went back to school three years ago, finished up my degree in sport management, which was interesting going back to school with an adult mind, per se. Yeah, and then kind of after that, I volunteered at Gonzaga for a couple of years, you know, just to kind of get out of the house and kind of coach and see if I really liked it. And, you know, the NCAA has these weird rules with four paid assistants, and you can't, like, touch a ball and whatnot. So this last year, I just kind of coached my daughter's team and got myself down to Nate Handicap and see a lot of flops at the casino. Um, so, yeah, I kind of just chill, to be honest with you. So did you enjoy the experience of coaching at Gonzaga? Is that something you are interested in doing in the future, or were you kind of just, eh? Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. It's Like I said, it's weird. Like The rules are, like, if you're not a paid assistant or you're not a grad assistant, you can't touch a ball. So essentially – you know, for guys like myself, my, my strength would be working guys out, you know, and giving them insight. Player development in, side. In yeah. that regards. Player development, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. And so when I couldn't do that, I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure Coach Few knows how to diagram a flex or a press break. So, you know, I think I'll just stay home this year. And like I said, I, I got two daughters, so it's hard to be on the road for no reason. You know what I mean? So, but I would like to coach um, if I could, but. You know, I got two daughters, so it'd be hard for me to leave to go chase a career when, um, you know, it's not anything that, you know, is putting food on my table or anything like that. So, yeah, no, my my life's pretty simple, to be honest with you. I play a lot of golf, like I said, and go to the lake and play And you're, you're having, it's a big day for you today. You're doing something at your lake house, correct? Uh, yeah, I was dewinterizing it, so I was underneath trying to turn off valves with spider webs in my face, and, and I got a dog delivered, so... Yeah, I'm all dirty, and I'm sitting in a 96 Ford F-250 truck right now, so you don't hear the wind in the background. Nice. So you, you take a lot of precedence over getting my uh, cabin finished, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I do appreciate the time. 
Back in 2011, you went overseas for a little bit and played in Belgrade. Is that correct, Serbia? Yeah, I played Belgrade and then Istanbul. Okay, and so yeah, was, during was, that time, it was it was kind of during the lockout, mm-hmm. and there's a big profile on you uh, done by Sam over at SI, uh, who's now with USA Today. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really enjoyed that article, and it seemed like you really opened up to him. And one of the things that you talked about um, was just how your love for the game wavered a little bit once you got to the NBA. I'm curious to where your love is right now when you made the decision, I guess, in 2012 to stop playing. You know, where was that love then? Uh, I mean, as you know, and, and I know as a professional athlete, like your natural ability can only take you so far. You you do have to have that love and that desire. And when it's gone, it's gone. So so where does that stand right now? Um, that's a very, very good question, to be honest with you. Um, I think... If you asked me the same thing three years ago, or maybe even four, I probably said I don't even want to look at a basketball ever again in my life. <laughs> you know, because my whole story was, you know, you and I were big names, you know, and high-profile athletes coming out of college, and then I didn't have a great year my first year in, in Charlotte. And, um, you know, all the leeches came out. And, uh, you know, after I tore my ACL, you know, obviously the story, I got traded to L.A. and couldn't get on the court, couldn't find any time. So, you know, for a while their basketball wasn't very fun. And you've been, I'm sure you can attest to this, you've been in some good locker rooms, and I'm sure you've been in some not-so-great locker rooms. And, you know, my first two years weren't great locker rooms. They weren't bad people, but it wasn't, you know, the locker room I was used to at Gonzaga, which I understand. I'm a realist. I understand that, you know, guys are professionals, so there's that natural, you know, inclination to you know, better yourself and try to do the best for you because obviously it's how you, you know, make a living. But, you know, there was a time where I didn't really, you know, didn't really enjoy the game. I didn't really want to be around it. Uh, and it was tough to go to the gym every day. And even in L.A., I mean, I, the people were great. I had a great time, made good friends, still in keep contact with a lot of people. But it's tough to go to the gym when you know you're not going to snip the court. So, you know, for a while there, it was tough. It was a dark time, to be honest with you, you know, personally. But, you know, I was lucky. I had, you know, good family members and friends. And, you know, they always reminded me, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed of yourself as a basketball player. You accomplished a lot of things, you know, prior to the NBA. And that's something that you should be proud of. And so, you know, as of now, I love the game. I love being around it. You know, I, I help out and coach uh, high school kids around town just to kind of get my itch or whatever and yeah so i enjoy it i coach my daughter's team and i watch it i was like i told you via text i watch i like watching you play i like watching the the warriors play and you know kobe and all those guys so you know i I still enjoy the game but for a while there honestly it was tough to be you know frank and real i appreciate that i want to get back to your career in a second but you kind of touched on something for the average fan who maybe played high school basketball or even some level of college basketball you know, they may not understand what the dynamic in an NBA locker room is um, because in high yeah. school, everybody's the same age. In college, everybody's the same age. You usually have the same interests. You're at the same point in your life. Uh, and then you get to yep. the league, and let's say you're 20 or 21 years old. You don't have a girlfriend. You know, your teammates, you know, might be married, might have kids. Um, it's laughable now, but like it was hard for me too early on in my career because. You know, we had a lot of veterans on our team. A lot of guys were married with kids. I just didn't have a ton in common with them. And to your point, there were times, too, when I felt 
uh, very isolated. You know, I can remember when I got to Duke, the upperclassmen kind of take you under your wing, you know, as a, as a yep. freshman. But, you know, like this is not a knock on Grant Hill, but like Grant Hill didn't really like take me under his wing and nor, nor should he. You know, he was a, mm-hmm. a, a veteran with family and kids. Like he had other interests. And not only that, but in the NBA, we're all competing for minutes, shots, the next contract. Um, it really is a dog-eat-dog world. So it's, the locker room dynamic in the NBA is is much different than the sporting experience that, that most people have growing up and playing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, you know, you hit it on the head. There's, you know, when you first get in, especially being a high draft pick, you go in thinking everybody's going to welcome you with open arms, which some guys do, and, you know, most guys are cool. Oh, yeah, but yeah, for sure, back, for sure. But in the back of their mind, they're saying, well, they just drafted a wing or somebody in my position, and like you said, I need a new contract, so that automatically throws a little, you know, wrench in the, the whole buddy-buddy situation. And, you know, like you said, as guys get older, um, you know, a lot of guys have their own businesses. A lot of guys are planning for the future. When you first get in, you know, it's not like all party, but it's all like, hey, man, I got, you know, I bought a nice car. I can finally get into a club and not have to go buy $5 Red Cup beers and stuff like that. So it's kind of a different world. And, yeah, yeah, I don't think the average Joe really understands that, you know, when guys are teammates – especially at professional level, it's not like you go like hang out together like you would in high school and college. I mean, you will a little bit, but you know, guys go home right. and kind of do their own thing and, you know, right. separate there's certain, a little there's, bit. There's always like clicks, like there, right. Three yeah, or four guys absolutely. hang out. And then when you go on the road, typically you, you hang out a little bit more, go to the movies, go to dinner, whatever it may be. So was fitting in. Cause I mean, you're, you're talking about some generalized stuff, but for you personally, you know, coming from Gonzaga, there was this idea of you, perception of you, as kind of a countercultural guy. You were, you still are, but you're kind of a no bullshit. I'm going to say exactly what's on my mind type person. So, was that a huge challenge fitting in in the locker room, not only in Charlotte but in LA? Yeah, the LA, not at all. That was the funny because we had a cast of characters. Yeah, Ron, myself, Kobe, Pow. You know, it was Jordy. Everybody was Lamar. You know, everybody was you know, top to bottom of the spectrum. And I think just the presence that, you know, just Phil, everybody knows about that, that he brings, uh, makes it easier for different personalities to kind of get along and kind of mesh together. Yeah, definitely Charlotte. I mean, when I first got there, the first question they asked me is, who's your favorite NASCAR driver? And I, you know, I wanted to say the Intimidator, but he was dead and, you know, rest in peace. But it was like, NASCAR, what is that? And then, uh, yeah, it was just a different culture. And we were all young guys, young you know, NCAA guys. Um, so it was kind of like always a, a friction amongst everybody there because every guy the year before was supposed to be the guy. So, you know, because we were a brand new organization. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was definitely different. But when I got to LA, there was, I fit right in per se because, you know, obviously we were winning, but we had a cast of characters and everybody kind of looked at it as, you know, it's like that your cousin or whatever who might be different, but he's still your cousin or still your brother. Like you still respect him and uh, treat him as such. So yeah, that was, that was the biggest difference. You know, I I went from, you know, one, one side of the NBA to the other, you know what I'm saying? And I guess you could kind of elaborate that, but you, you've been on both. You've been on winning and, yeah, I've been in so good locker rooms and, you know, and, like, and bad locker yeah, rooms. Exactly. And you know what I'm talking about. So, like, yeah. when I went to L.A., it was like, whoa, this is, okay, now I get it. This is how, you know, guys kind of mesh together and kind of, you know, look past each other's differences and just try to win. 
Adam, we can talk hoops all day, but let me tell our listeners about another fun sport, baseball. As you know, I'm on the road a lot, but baseball season is here. It's a great game, and there are a ton of games, 2,430 in all. Even if you just follow one team, like I do, the Boston Red Sox, that's still 162 games, and if you're like me, sometimes you just can't be in front of the TV. Here's the solution. T-Mobile is giving its customers and anyone who switches to T-Mobile a free year-long MLB.TV premium subscription. That's $199 value for free. So you'll never miss a game and none of it will ever touch your data plan thanks to Binge On, only from T-Mobile. Watch every out-of-market game and get stats, highlights, and scores of your favorite team without using any of your data. T-Mobile has got you covered, unlike those other guys. So get your free MLB.TV premium subscription by April 10th and catch every moment all season long. Hurry up. You can only sign up during baseball's opening week through April 10th. Switch to the uncarrier T-Mobile today and catch games all season long. Are you already a T-Mobile customer? Then sign up at T-Mobile.com MLB. Sign up for MLB.TV while on T-Mobile's network. New MLB.TV premium subscribers only. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.TV for details. Binge on available to T-Mobile customers with qualifying plan. Detectable video typically streams at DVD quality. Video from participating services doesn't count against full speed data on T-Mobile's U.S. network. Third party subscription charges may apply. Now let's get back to our guest, Adam Morrison. In terms of just the impact that it had on your career, what do you think was, I don't want to say stumbling block, but what do you think was more of a kind of a challenge to overcome? Was it tearing your ACL in your, in your second year or was it getting traded? Cause you were the third pick. So, you know, a lot of times a team makes a top five pick. They're really invested in this guy. And in your mm-hmm. second year playing your third year in the NBA, you got traded about halfway through the season or whatever, early in the season. And, uh, it and was, you go to was, a completely new situation. Yeah, it was, so my first year, I yeah, started off well. I played good for about half the season, or decent, you know. I was averaging like 14, 15, something like that, playing well. And then I hit that quote-unquote wall, which partly was my fault, but partly, you know, to be frank, was, you know, I'm type 1 diabetic, and it was I, I had no way to prepare for a, a full NBA season. I never went through that. So that was part of it. So then we, you know, we tail off, and then Coach Bickerstaff gets let go, so then the second year, they told me, okay, so then, you know, we're going to bring you off the bench and play you probably 15 to 25 minutes, you know, that extra 10 if you're playing well, which I thought would be perfect for my game to come in, be the second unit scorer type of guy, you know, run plays, that type of thing. And then I tear my ACL. So then the third year, they bring in Coach Brown, who's obviously a legendary coach, but I don't think he likes, you know, slow, skinny white guys on the wing. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that didn't really help out my career. And then going to L.A., you know, being on a team that was already in the finals the year before that was already kind of built, like I said, it was just hard to find minutes. And, uh, you know, but like I said, the, the locker room was always great. I never felt like I was an outlier. Guys never treated me with any disrespect. Um, we always had competitive practices, so my game always felt good. So I think tearing my ACL definitely was a major factor, obviously. And then getting traded to a really good team was, you know, was hard for me to to break into the lineup. But I'm proud to be a part of that team, to be honest with you. You know, a lot of for people sure. gave me crap because I didn't play. But, you know, you've been around guys from 1 to 13 or 1 to 15. Guys make a contribution. Guys oh, play no, hard in sure. practice, guys, you, you know. 
So listen, if you're um, in the I NBA, you I, can play. Yeah, if you're in the NBA, you can play. Yeah. Like, and, and the other thing too, I was going to ask you about absolutely. is just like I've always said, like, you know, if a guy gets the right situation, he can produce. And so, you know, you might have injuries, let's say, and and the fifteenth guy comes in and, and scores twenty points, and everybody's like, "What the hell? This guy has twenty points?" But I mean, the, the guy's an NBA player; he can play. And yeah, and we've exactly. talked about on this podcast with a couple of my guests. I know Jared Dudley and I talked about this uh, at length, but. You know, so much of the NBA is about being in the right situation. Looking back, do you feel like if you had been in the right situation, maybe early in your career, maybe even in that fourth or fifth year, that that you would still be in the league? Like, is it? I guess my question is: Are you mad that you never got into that right situation? Because I feel like you could play. I, I felt like you could produce, and I don't think you ever got that chance. Yeah, there's times when I, you know, I'll turn on the TV now and I'd be like. You know, people might laugh, but I'll, you know, you watch and be like, "I'm better than that guy," or I, you know, I, I can do what that guy is doing. Yeah. So there's there's a time, you know, after I went overseas, I came back and I did the summer league thing with the Clippers, and I played well, averaged 20 or something like that, shot the ball really well, and I really thought I was going to get a legitimate, at least a, you know, the the non guaranteed or whatever, and at least a legitimate shot, and I just I couldn't get one. So that's when I said, okay, um, it's time to, you know, look somewhere else. And But, yeah, there's times when I, especially in the past, like I said, three, four years ago, I was really upset that I never got another opportunity. But also I'm a realist. I get how, you know, I was portrayed in the media. I get how people portrayed me around the league. So I, I get that, but at the same time, I was always like, you know, I've never – I wasn't a bad locker room guy. I wasn't uh, never been arrested or anything like that. Or you know what I mean. I never. Right. I don't understand what the such such a negative connotation was. But that's the world we live in now, and I understand it. I understand the culture. I understand it's all shock. It's all sound bites. It's all clicks and all all those type of things. But yeah, there's times when you know I was definitely very upset that I didn't get another opportunity. But, do you still you know, feel like, like you earlier. could get buckets? You, do you still feel like you could get buckets? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, like uh, a couple of years ago, I went down to GU and I didn't play for like six months. And I'm not saying they're NBA level talent, but you know, I started playing for like a week, and I, I was like, these guys are terrible. You know what I mean? And I was just laughing in my head. I'm like, and I was talking trash, like you know, guys, I've been on the couch for six months and I'm killing all you guys, like so, you know, drinking beers and whatnot. So. I really feel like I could, but that was three years ago, definitely. But now, you know, I'm 31, you know, skinny, slow. I don't know about now. All right, more with Adam in just a second after I tell you about the best way to get a good night's sleep. I know in my busy life and all the time I spend on the road, a good night's sleep is super important, and I bet it is in your life too. Good sleep comes from a good mattress. Casper mattresses are made in America. They provide resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort with just the right sink and just the right bounce using two technologies, a hybrid of latex foam and memory foam. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price point with a risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. And get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash JJ and using the code JJ. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're back with Adam. All right, we're going to move to some better times. I want to talk about 2006. (laughs) Um, So this week, today actually, uh, Monday, 
it will be the national championship game. And it was 10 years ago that I was a senior, you were a junior at Gonzaga, and we engaged. In, we never played against each other, but we engaged in a, in a pretty epic cross-country battle that I think got a lot of attention. I mean, I, I feel like I, I'm still associated with you. I don't know if you feel vice versa the same way. Um, oh, the other day, we, the other day we were playing a game me? at Staples Center, and uh, <laughs> there's this guy. It was a home game, and this guy's like behind the bench, and he's like heckling me, and I'm like, I'm like, what is he? What is he saying? And he keeps saying your name over and over again. He's like Adam Morrison, Adam Morrison, yeah, Adam know. Morrison. You know how many times I, <laughs> I heard your name on the road in JJ's bed? I've heard that my whole yeah, life, like yeah, ever since that year. I, how many times I've signed that stupid ass uh, the, the Sports Illustrated cover? cover. Who's the best? There. Who's the best? <laughs> Who's the best? I've signed that with your name on it more times, and I want to be like, you know, how much is this going on eBay for? Because you always see those greasy guys with like mm-hmm. the duffel bag full of memorabilia waiting at the the hotel. Wait outside the hotel. Yeah, and you just be like, dude, like you're trying to. Do you want me to just give you fifty bucks right now? Because I will, <laughs> just so you stop heckling me to sign this stupid Stop ass harassing me. the uh the guy at the game though is like he keeps saying it over and over again and i i wouldn't give him the time of the day and then he's he says he leans over to his buddy he's like literally right behind the bench he leans over his buddy he's like he's just mad he shared all the player of the year awards back in 2006 i'm like, I'm like really We're you want there all, like you want all the good you want all the good ones you know what i mean no uh, i wasn't gonna say it i wasn't gonna say it no no i know no you won we we we, we uh <laughs> we were co-player of the year on the nabc and the oscar robertson mm-hmm. you won the mm-hmm. chevy player of the year and then mm-hmm. the other stuff, the AP Wooden Naismith, you know, I I won. So it was, dude. Yeah, you won the, you won I the, mean, you won the good I, ones. <laughs> it's weird to say this because I'm so fucking competitive, and like it it irks me like about it. But like back then, even 2006, like I actually was rooting for you. I know that sounds weird to say because it's hard for me as a, like a current player to like really be like, all right, yeah, that that guy's good, and I want to see him do well. And at the time, mm-hmm. I mean, we were like 20 and 21 years old, so we were vastly more immature than we are now. Um, but I legitimately, <laughs> I legitimately wanted you to do well, and and I think to an extent, and it, it really started that day that you know I had 41 against Texas, and you hit the buzzer beater later that night. Um, I think it was to beat Oklahoma State, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was really started that night. It seemed like we actually brought like the best out in each other, which uh, is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. You know, I was always checking your box score at the end of the night and seeing what I had to get to stay ahead in the scoring race. And, uh, you know, obviously two high-profile programs. But, yeah, man, you know how many times I've heard your name when I was playing in the league, especially riding the pine at L.A., man? Shit. I was always – it was bad to see her JJ, JJ, and it's like, man, you know. And I wouldn't even turn around, but sometimes it's just like, dude. You know, I still I, – I heard it last year when Duke beat Gonzaga. I was walking off the court. And this guy, he stands up, he goes, J.J. is better than you. And I just look over and go, I'm better than you, though. And uh, somebody <laughs> tweeted it out. But he, the look on his face is just, you know, uh, sometimes that's what I say. I'm like, you've never, you probably didn't even play high school basketball. Just shut up. But, yeah, no, I've heard your name constantly, which it doesn't, it, it bothered me at first. But, you know, like I've known you as a person, so I, it doesn't bother right. me in that capacity. Right. But. No, it's no, just no, like, it, man, some of these people are just idiots. But um, it's not like the UNC you know. Duke thing, and I don't, I don't know who your rival is, but it's like people yell UNC stuff all the time to me, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, whatever. Like it's UNC Duke. I have respect for the program, but, but I get like, there's like some bitterness there. We're obviously trying to beat them every year, 
like the you and me thing. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't get. Like you know, we never even played against each other in college. Yeah, I know we never you know? Even, <laughs> we never played each other, and it was like a it was kind of a media creation thing. Which yeah. you know, I mean, which I want to talk about. So we're so you bring it up. So we so we made the mistake, and I'll call it a mistake, but we made the mistake of agreeing to allow ESPN to film us while playing online Halo or oh, against yeah, no, or with a, each other. It was yeah. the stupidest thing ever. Yeah. I don't know why we decided to do yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I will yeah. say this: like we we did play Halo occasionally. It wasn't it wasn't an everyday thing. It wasn't even really an every week thing. We we probably did it, I don't know, half a dozen dozen times. Yeah, you were way you were way better than me. You were way better than me. I know that like <laughs> when we were on the Ascension map, if you got the sniper, like we were good. <laughs> we were good. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it. Yeah, I remember. I think that's part of the reason, though. I think that's that Halo story that ESPN did. It was like it was part of the reason that that we're forever linked. It wasn't just the Sports Illustrated cover. It was it was the headsets on and the mic and talking cross country. <laughs> there was this like idea that. You and I were up late at night. You'd finish your game on the West Coast at midnight, and I'd, I'd text you, "Hey, bud, I'll be on in 20. <laughs> never happened. Never, it never happened. He's exactly right. Never happened. Yeah, it was a media creation, and and I said that in that NBC article uh, a few weeks ago. It was you know two white guys, so it fit in perfect. Two sure. white uh, basketball players, so it was like even better for the media. You know what I mean? And so. Yeah, it was just kind of a creation, and it took life of its own. And it was just like, for a while, I was like, God dang, man! Like, I'm tired of talking. Part of yeah, I just wanted to be like, hey, just cut and paste, man. You're gonna ask me right. the same questions. Right. You're gonna ask me when I was diagnosed with diabetes. How was it like playing, taking shots? And then do you look at JJ and blah blah? It's like, man, all right, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with this crap. <laughs> Getting old. Part of the thing too was not only we were both white, but we were both like opposites. You know, it's you had yeah. the shaggy yeah. hair and the and the awesome porn mustache, and you know I was this supposed <laughs> clean cut Duke kid. By the way, I got a DUI before the draft, so I wasn't like the most clean cut guy ever. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a saint by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that was part of it too. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. I don't know if I, I read the NBC thing that was a few weeks ago. For those that didn't get to it, it's a really cool oral history of Adam and I's kind of experience in 2006, both schools. Some great stories in there. Unfortunately, I was not able to participate in the oral history. To be quite honest with you, someone sent me the email of all the questions I was supposed to ask, and I never got around to it. I had planned to do it. It was on my to-do list. And mm-hmm. uh, and then one day, someone tweeted at me, hey, this oral history is out. Why didn't you participate? So my fault for that. <laughs> but it's it's really interesting, and it, it, it's really cool. And if uh, I'll find the link and tweet it out when this podcast goes up because uh, it, it's really worth the read. If you remember 2006 and you remember – uh, and you're a fan of college basketball. All right, so 10 years later now, it's 2016. A few weeks ago, I had Kyle Lowry on my podcast, and I asked him this question. I asked him, you know, who amongst our draft class are you shocked that isn't in the NBA anymore? And he said, well, beyond the obvious people, you know, he said Jordan Farmar, who was actually one of your teammates in Los Angeles, and Jordan has since signed with the Memphis Grizzlies for the rest of the season and is, is playing quite well for mm-hmm. them. I didn't answer the question at the time, but I'll, I'll answer it now. You know, I'm shocked that you're not in the league. And, and I touched on it a little bit earlier um, because I always felt like if you had gotten a chance in the right situation, you really would have flourished. 
besides the obvious guy, Brandon Roy, who, who because of health reasons, uh, isn't able to play, who from our draft class 10 years later do you think should still be in the NBA? Are you, are you surprised is not in the NBA? Oh, it's a good, good question. I really think, to be honest, just how long and athletic he was, Tyrus Thomas. I mean, just the fact that he was such an athlete and could move so well and he was so long and, you know, you could almost kind of put him at the three or you could at least think you could develop him to that. Because when I saw him at the pre-draft camp, I was like, this guy is, you know, just long, athletic, and guard three or four, maybe even a two type of deal. So that's one guy that I think that I always thought would probably be at least a 10-year guy just looking at him and watching him do the all the pre-draft stuff. And then obviously, like, it's sad that a guy like Brandon, you know, Brandon would have been a Hall of Famer in my opinion. He was so good at Portland, so talented too. And, you know, I grew up obviously in the same state as him and being a year behind him. So I always heard about how good Brandon Roy is, Brandon Roy. And, and it was all true. And I got to play against him in, in college. And, you know, I, I, I think it's just sad that he couldn't finish out his career because I think he would have been a Hall of Famer, would have been a multiple all-star and, you know, that type of deal. And who knows where Portland would have been at if he even stayed around. And then, you know, I don't know if they would have got little. I can't say his name, Lillard. Um, <laughs> but, Damian uh, Lillard. Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, so it's uh, Brandon was like the prototypical two guard. I mean, he could do a little bit of everything and was great at a few mm-hmm. things. Um, had the size, the length, the shooting ability, could play out of the pick and they roll. They used to just, yeah, they used to just put him on that pick and roll up top and he used to just kill guys because you, you couldn't, you know, he could shoot it behind if you went under. Then you try to go over the top. He was athletic enough to get to the rim, and then he could make a 15-footer. And it was like that's all they ran when Nate was there, McMillan. So, yeah, he was he was such a good player. And I heard about him since I was 14 years old being in the same state, and it's just sad that he his body betrayed him. I actually ran into him a few nights ago. He was down here in L.A. and, and came to our game uh, and saw him afterwards in the back hallways at Staples Center. He looks fantastic. He, he had his kids with him. I know he's – Cool, man. You know, enjoying being a dad and everything. And um, from what I understand, he's begun to mentor um, some of the younger guys in the NBA that are from the Seattle area. Um, there's so many of them right now. But uh, not only yeah. a great player, just he was like one of the all-time good dudes. I mean, he was he, he, he's awesome. I, yeah. I agree with well, you on I, Tyrus, too, because Tyrus had, again, like the, the physical skills. And, you know, for whatever reason, he, he signed a, a pretty big deal after his rookie contract, and then it never really worked out from there. Adam, this may seem like a random question, but have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? I know I have. Most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell tickets to your favorite NBA team and other sports team or concerts. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. They pull all the tickets available and other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, they show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. Plus, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, 
go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Actually, someone on Twitter sent me a screenshot of their $20 check from SeatGeek. I'd love to get more of those. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. All right, let's go back to Adam now. Mm -hmm. Enough hoops. We've talked hoops now for uh, about 40 minutes. Recently, there was an article that just I randomly came across, and I don't know if it was... uh, on Business Insider or, or Twitter, but um, one of the Gonzaga guys was doing an interview, and he mentioned that you had a post-apocalyptic bunker. And yeah. uh, I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering if there's any truth to that. There's no truth. Let me set up kind of the whole <laughs> the whole situation. Okay, so I'm from Washington. It is a very friendly gun state. It's kind of like Texas, where you can buy a sure. rifle, uh, you can buy a handgun, wait five days. So I own 80 acres. I go shooting, you know, maybe once a month on my property. I do everything legally. Obviously, I'm not a felon, anything like that. So in today's day and age, I have to say all that just to to make sure. So, yeah, the kid's never been to my house. So I don't know where he got the idea of a bunker, but I have a closet with two gun safes, I guess. So (laughs) that's where the idea came that I have a bunker, I guess. But yeah, no, I shoot once a month. Uh, I shoot rifles. I shoot handguns. So, yeah, I don't have... I'm not so someone must have told him this. This is like an urban legend maybe around the Gonzaga campus. How did you find yeah. out about this? Like, how did you find out that a Gonzaga player was going around telling people you had a post-apocalyptic bunker? I was actually playing golf with some buddies, and I, you know, I finish up a hole, and I go to my cart, and look down and somebody texted me uh, the link and it's New York Daily News. And I'm like, why am I on New York Daily News? And the headline reads, unhinged, paranoid Adam Morrison has a bunker. <laughs> and I just like, oh my God, you know, and I'm just like, all the stuff people have ever said about me and which usually I don't mind because it's it's all about, like I said earlier, it's all about clicks and all that. I understand that I'm a realist. I understand our culture. I get it. But like, I'm not Ted Kaczynski. I'm not you know, destitute and crazy. I, <laughs> I go shooting and then, you know, like in a state where it's allowed. And so, yeah, like I heard about it then and I had to finish up like eight holes being really, really upset and trying to figure out when I should call my lawyer and, you know, who else I should call at the university and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, it was weird because the, like I said, the kids never been to my house and Maybe he heard it because I take some of the GU players after they're done. Like, they ask me to go shooting with them, and I'll run them through gun safety and all that stuff, and then we'll go shoot some targets. But no, I'm not a militia member. No, I'm not Ted Kaczynski. No, I'm not David Koresh. You know what I mean? It's just like... Have you seen 10 Cloverfield uh, yeah. Lane? So you you don't have that. No, That's I, what I envisioned. Okay. All right. So that, that doesn't exist. There's there's some people no, that I, I think immediately believed it, though. And part of it, too, was like, you know, the whole like political leftism. I think leftism that, you know, you kind of have subscribed to the Karl Marx stuff and all that. Uh, where do you yeah, where do you stand job. where do you stand right now where do you stand right now it's an election year we can talk about this where do you stand right now where are your well, political let's get, leanings let's find out where you you stand first put yourself fine on that's line fine first. that I is that is okay never that, is, that is very fair so, be careful. so I, we, be careful yeah you're right I would say I'm I'm very very much in the middle I think a lot of people in my generation are socially liberal and you know fiscal conservative fiscal conservatives correct. 
And, and that's yeah. that's definitely what majority of people I know, even professional athletes, NBA players, I think fall in that line. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, listen, I think life in general, is, you know, it's like if you envision a pendulum going back and forth, you never want that yeah. pendulum to, to swing too far much one way or the other because chaos can ensue and you can apply that to any aspect of your life and I think you can apply it to politics as well. So where do you yeah, stand? No, I agree. I guess I'm a, a libertarian is maybe where I would stand. And yeah, so I guess I don't believe that, you know, like as far as like gay marriage and stuff like that, I don't think that the government should tell anybody how to and whom to marry. So I guess like I'm, I guess I'm kind of the same. I've subscribed that I believe that you should be able to do what you kind of want if you pay taxes and you don't break the law. But also, I believe our government is too big. And I know that puts you in a category, but I just think that we're just way too big. And, you know, and that includes like defense spending and a lot of social programs that don't run right. I think it needs to be cut back and restructured to, you know, to benefit the population. Because now, you know, it's it's overspending. We're $20 trillion in debt. And I think that it's just, you know, way too much wasted resources. But that being said, do you think I should have an apocalypse bunker if I did such such things were true <laughs> if Trump or Hillary Clinton gets in? <laughs> I mean, I feel like every time that I've, at least in my lifetime, every every person like that ever gets elected, there's like the other side is always like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving this country. This country's no, going yeah, to shit. No, it, it, I mean, I remember watching it, it, when I was like eight years old, I'm watching the 92 election when Bill Clinton... <laughs> you know, got elected and my parents are like damn near in tears. And so I go to bed that night thinking like, Oh, tomorrow's the beginning of the apocalypse. Bill Clinton's president. Yeah. You, know? Yeah. you know, so it's, yeah. I mean, like Kyle said, the Gonzaga player, man, you know, I guess if something's going to go down, it's going to go down with politics or something, whatever he said. He goes, he said that I think everybody's corrupt and I wanted to reply like, well, you see that Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders are getting huge, massive turnout. So I'm not the only one that feels that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, but I wanted to say like, you know, he's a millennial, so he's safe space and all that stuff. Right. They probably, probably doesn't even know like, you know, the three branches if of the government establi- or anything If the like establishment or- <laughs> can't understand why people like Bernie Sanders and Trump are resonating with people, then, then we have a problem. And we do have a problem. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that we can change with the political system. We're not going to get into all that right now. We are going to get into this week's <laughs> four on four, which along the themes of a post-apocalypse, we're going to talk about our favorite post-apocalyptic movies. All right. Okay. I have two right away in mind. Do you have okay. one or two? Like, What are your favorite two, let's say? What are your favorite two movies that have to deal with the apocalypse or post-apocalyptic life? I think number one would be The Road, and just because of the dark nature of it. And I really think if there was an apocalypse, like because what's great about the movie is you don't really know what happens. If there's a nuclear blast, they kind of give you clues, but it's some natural disaster. And, you know, obviously society breaks down. I think that's kind of how it would go where people are just kind of wandering and surviving and, you know, eventually, you know, everything dies out. And then two, uh, I think 
I kind of liked what was the one with Morgan Freeman was the president and the the big wave or whatever the the Deep asteroid, impact? not the one. Yeah, Deep, Deep impact. impact. For some reason, not some Armageddon. Reason they came that. around. They came out at the same time. It was yeah. the one with Elijah yeah. Wood. Elijah Wood. He's running through the hills in Missouri, trying to beat the water and get into the bunker. Yeah, yeah and he, he he takes the little motorcycle up the hill, then they all survive and. Yeah. At that time, that movie was kind of, it was in the 90s, and it was like, you know, it was a black president, so it was kind of weird first seeing that. It's like, whoa, you know what I mean? And then yeah. what a better person than Morgan Freeman be in that role. But then it was like, it was better than, to me, it was better than Armageddon, just because Armageddon was so like, why would you hire eight roughneck guys to save the planet? Why would you just hire eight astronauts and teach them how to drill? It seemed a little but, far-fetched. That's just me. That movie seemed a little <laughs> well, far-fetched yeah. to me. Yeah. So one of them, that, one I thought about, that I really like, but I wouldn't include it in my top two is 28 days later. Oh yeah. Uh, that's really, zombie one and then they had here. a sequel, I think 28 weeks later. I, I like both those movies. Um, but my mm. two favorite, uh, one is zombie land. It's never, you know, seen it's, it. it's not, you never saw zombie land. <laughs> okay. Is that the All one right, with, uh, Woody Harrelson in it? Yes, Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, yeah. And, uh, See, come on, man. That it, looked unrealistic. I mean, funny, obviously, zombies, dude. It's it was so funny. Like, and, no. and the best part about it, the movie, which I was going to talk to you about this part, but you haven't seen it. But the best part about the movie is Bill Murray's cameo. I assume you like Bill Murray. Bill Murray's awesome. He's a legend. Okay. So, well, he Classic. gives a legendary cameo in Zombieland. So that was my number one. Number two for me, and most people don't think about this movie as post-apocalyptic, but The Matrix. So, uh, Yeah, no, that, that counts, yeah. No, I think the Matrix is, and it, it, you know, there's a there's a war right between the machines. The sky's covered up, and now we're we're harvesting humans, or the machines are harvesting humans. I also really enjoy like uh, the biblical undertones of that whole series. Very entertaining. I, yeah. I tend to agree with you on the road too. The road was a fantastic book, fantastic film. I love it. What about the what's that one that just that came out recently? It was about two years ago with Matt Damon and had that ensemble cast about that disease and the CDC couldn't control it. Uh, Lawrence oh, Fishburne Contagion. was in it too. Yeah, Contagion. That 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 Contagion. would be one of my favorite too because that that's realistic. I think like yeah, I don't know how realistic zombies are. It's got to be some sort of no. virus or something. Yeah. I thought it was a good yeah, movie. I know, the other one that you know, I think a lot of people maybe recently enjoyed, which I didn't particularly like. I, I actually fell asleep and I tried watching it like three times, and I never got through all of it. Was was Children of Men with um, Clive? I Owen. never saw it. Yeah, I, I don't don't see it. <laughs> if there ever is an apocalypse, I'm going to hope that I'm in the state of Washington because I know someone there with 80 acres and two gun safes. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I mean that's. You're, you live in Texas now, though, so I don't know why you're, you know, like, why it would be such a weird thing to own a, a rifle, you know what I mean? Like, America is all about subcultures, and there's different subcultures everywhere you go, and so, like, that's why, I, to me, I thought it was so odd that people made it such a big deal, but I get it, like I said, it's all about clicks, and I understand whatever, but it was like... You know, most of my friends own a shotgun in their house, you know, whatever, or, you know, have a concealed carry permit like myself, you know, but I get the argument, the gun argument, we could spend two hours on it if we wanted to, and it wouldn't be pretty for either of us. Let's steer clear of that. Let's, let's just you know, I know that's what I'm there. saying. You live in California, you would get ostracized <laughs> yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just steer clear of any gun issue. All right, Adam, uh, I really appreciate all the time. I appreciate you opening up, man. And and honestly, like this has been fun because 
I feel like we got to catch up, and this is this has been really awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Stay in touch, and uh, like I said, I enjoy watching. I really do enjoy watching you play. I use you as example all the time with these young cats that I coach, just on your footwork and all your fundamental stuff. So yeah, keep it up, man. Appreciate you having me on, and let me know if you want any more political insight. But uh, <laughs> well, I didn't. I I really wanted to say more, but I'm not a Marxist. I'm more of a libertarian. You do whatever you want if you pay taxes. You know, you know what? <laughs> Maybe like the week before the election, I'll have you on, and we can do like two hours on politics. All right. All right, man. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SeatGeek, T-Mobile, and Casper Mattresses. We'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.